Welcome to the Debbie debate. All right, boys, are we ready to debate? Bruning, are you ready to go head to head with me? I am. Gotta get my popcorn out here. Hold on. It's a bold strategy, Cotton. Let's see if it pays off for him. I'm Felix Sharp. I know you didn't think that we would get through this episode without mentioning the name one Zach F. Wilson. It is first to goal. Ball spotted just inside the 10. Algier in. Wilson faked it to him and keeps it. Zach Wilson, the speed, and he dives for the end zone. Touchdown. That's Austin Nate. Gibbs, who is probably going to be the best pass catcher out of the three. Now. He's going to get after it again. And look at the speed and the spark and the score from Gibbs. Just what Georgia Tech needed. That's Matt Bruning. G. Scott Jr. Obviously, I waxed poetic about him on the last episode, so I won't do that again here. And this time it's Fields on the carry. Watch out. Justin Fields. Hello, Columbus. 51 yards. Austin, you tweeted something, bro. You tweeted your running back ranking. Explain yourself. Boy, that escalated quickly. I mean, that really got out of hand fast. Ohio State fan talking there. Oh, shit. That is why you come to the Debbie debate. Apologies to Kirk Herbstreit. We ran out of time. We'll get him rescheduled soon. And for Matt Bruning and Austin Nace, I'm Felix Sharp. Good night and good luck. It's 9.30 Eastern time, the time zone where Jesus was born. That means it's time for the Debbie debate. That's Matt Bruning. That's Austin Nason. I'm Felix Sharp on a Laffy Taffy version of tonight's show is Travion Henderson. The only answer at the one-on-one in freshman drafts, will Steve Sarkeesian start Casey Thompson or Hudson Card at quarterback at at Texas? And will Mac Jones ever be a quarterback one in fantasy football? But we start with Tampa Bay's 31-9 stomping of Kansas City in Super Bowl 55. Tampa Bay wins a home game against a depleted Kansas City team while Tom Brady wins his seventh ring in a game that really wasn't that entertaining. Matt Bruning, what did you learn from Kansas City getting beat down? That the Browns should have beaten them because they had given the Buccaneers a better game than the Chiefs. Now, uh, offensive line means a lot more than people are giving it credit for. That's what I think. Obviously, losing Eric Fisher, and I don't remember, was it Schwartz, their center? Uh, obviously losing those two players. And, and Mahomes, I, I really do think that toe was bothering him a whole lot more in the second half. I know he was throwing balls matrix all off the ground and everything, but he he definitely was hurting in that second half, the way he was running, having to dodge everything. And I think the play calling was horrible too, if I'm being honest. I hate to question a guy like Andy Reid because he's probably forgotten more about football in the past second than I know I've learned in my entire lifetime. But it seemed like they were doing a whole lot of trying to go deep on every single play, and it just was not working out for him. <clears throat> yeah, um, awesome. yeah. <laughs> I, I guess I learned never to question Felix. Um, I think he was the only one that was right last week about that. Um, but at the risk of Felix's head getting too big, that that is not the, the takeaway that I have from it. Um, I think the biggest takeaway is that Kansas City just needs other pass catchers outside of Hill and Kelsey. I mean, you can say, well, they have Tyreek and Kelsey. I mean, those are two great players, and they are. But we saw what happened where the Bucks mostly took those two away and nobody else could catch anything. It was honestly pretty embarrassing um, overall, just kind of watching you know, the amount of passes that bounced off guys' hands throughout the game. Um, and Kelsey and uh, Hill were guilty of it as well. So it wasn't just the other guys, but 
they certainly weren't helping. And I think it's pretty obvious that Kansas City likes speed a lot uh, out of that position. It's just what they have been um, going toward in the draft. So I'm interested to see what they do in a very deep skill position draft. Um, I was looking at my list the other day of just, you know, where I have wide receivers ranked for the year. And um, speedy guys, you have Rondell Moore and Waddle and kind of in my tier one. Those guys probably both go too early for Kansas City. In my tier two, I have Terrace Marshall and Deami Brown. Maybe more realistic, you know, Terrace Marshall would give them some size. That would be a very intriguing matchup there. Um, tier three, I have Tutu Atwell, um, Kadarius Tony, everybody's favorite recent Twitter discussion, Dwayne Eskridge, Tamarian Terry, maybe even Amari Rogers. Um, and then after that, you have like a Brennan Eagles and Marquez Stevenson. So there's a lot of speed in this draft. I'm very interested just when they decide or if they decide to go after it. Austin, as you noted, I called this game, and that's not going to be my takeaway. But what I'm going to say is, is that football is not hard. It is a very basic math game. If you can rush four, then you can guard five potential eligible wide receivers with seven defenders. It's seven on five. Now, if you have to chip a running back, if you have to chip a with a tight end, then you're then you're four on seven, and the math is is changed uh, in, against you uh, even more. And so that's what we saw there. We knew that Kansas City's offensive line was going to be depleted. It was. They had to chip with tight ends, with running backs. And so the math was just off the entire game. They could play too high, and they did play too high. They could they could get to Patrick Mahomes with Shaq Barrett, with Indomitian Sue, and with Jason Pierre-Paul. I said before the game, I said I thought Shaq Barrett was going to be the Super Bowl MVP. Oh, he wasn't. He had one sack and four quarterback hits. I mean, he was a presence in the game because that offensive line was depleted. Football is not rocket science. It's just basic math. And what Kansas City was able to do was play seven on four, play seven on five. More often than not, you're going to be able to win, especially if you just have to eliminate Tyreek Hill and um, and and Travis Kelsey. So that's my takeaway from the game. It's not a hard game. It's basic math. All right. We need our listeners to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. We will be announcing some fairly big news in the coming episode, so you want to make sure that you are tuned in and not missing a show. But we are very, very excited for our special, very special guest this evening. He is the host of the Debbie Deep Dive podcast. He is the creator of the all-encompassing Debbie dashboard. He's the engine behind the NFL Draft Bible's film room. You can find him at Debbie Deep Dive on Twitter, but let's not joke. If you are listening to this show, you know who this guest is. Ladies and gentlemen, Brandon Lejeune. Hey, guys. How are you? Man, that is one buildup, man. I got to tell you. That's something else. Hey, great, great to be on. Deserved. I, I Brandon, it. first question for you. You are an OG in Debbie, okay? Talk to us a little bit about your process for player evaluation. Um, well, I've educated myself, I feel like as much as I've could over the last couple of years, um, more of a film guy than an analytics guy, although I'm trying to incorporate analytics to, um, coincide with my film, but I, I love making game films, which is a great way to scout players. That's really how I got into it and, you know, started my whole Debbie dashboard and everything. But my process is a little different. I usually have four or five criteria for each players, you know, the QBs, wide receivers, running backs, tight ends, um, 
And then I, you know, go through those criteria when I watch players and try to be as consistent as possible in using the same criteria. Um, and then, you know, kind of grade my players weighting what I, you know, per position, what I value the most in, you know, per position. And then I do a lot of research after that. And I encourage everyone to do that as well. You know, you do your own film research, but then, you know, go out and there's a lot of um, other you know, people out there that do the same thing. And I kind of use that to, um, you know, kind of coincide with what I see. So, um, you know, and then you got to kind of go back after the draft and I'd like to kind of see, you know, what you hit or miss. So going back and watching prospects too of the elite players that make it and the ones that don't, the ones you get disappointed in, right. That you think are going to make it, you know, why didn't they? And then the ones that make it that you didn't think did, you know, why did they? So it's an evolving process. It's a great hobby. I love it. I love uh, being in the community with all you guys. Do you find, especially with you know your creation of the dashboard here and everything in the past couple of months, that that has altered how you how you approach things or you know, look at things? Actually, no. It's helped me organize things. That's that's really why I created it. You know, we all started off with a Google Sheet, and then I found this program, Notion. I put it all together. It's been great. But what it does, it keeps me contained and organized with all of my guys, and it provides a bunch of links to everything on the internet. So it's the only place I need to go to then branch out, or if I want to watch a huddle film, or go to Rivals or something like that. But um, you know, and then I, I just write my film notes for each player in that same space, which is a lot easier to do in a other program other than Google Docs. And uh, but so it's been great for me. And I just want to share it with the Debbie community as well. So it's a great just launch pad, um, you know, to, to really do your own research. So it's really helped me organize. It's been it's been great. It's been I mean, I got 400 hours into this thing. I'm telling you, you know, all the pictures and, you know, it looks pretty right. <laughs> so I'm trying to add more information as, uh, you know, adding numbers and analytics right now is really the next step in it. But I got links to films and everything in there. It's pretty cool. So. So is there a position that you feel particularly strong about evaluating? Like Felix up there thinks he evaluates running backs pretty good. He usually just steals all the Austin's guys whenever we do our whenever we do our mock drafts and everything. I, I think I'm good at quarterbacks. Austin's the king of wide receivers. What position just kind of like speaks to you when you're watching him? I, I think probably be running back and wide receiver, but I'm going to lean wide receiver because there's more guys to look at, right? I mean, the quarterbacks, let's not kid ourselves. Usually by the time you get to the draft, there's five or six. We're going to talk about one of them tonight, right? And usually the ones after that, after the pros get it right, there, there's nobody that really emerges. But in the wide receiver space, you know, you have, you know, Gabriel on the Bills and you've got, you know, Claypool, who was like a late bloomer last year. Guys like that trying to find those diamonds in the rough. Because really, when you play this great game of Debbie and C2C, right? The best part is getting that college player on your roster, on your taxi squad and watching, you know, those guys develop and then, you know, come draft day, it's like the best night of the night, right? I mean, because you got all these guys, you wonder where they land. So I find wide receivers are more fun um, because there's more of them to, to watch and trying to find the diamonds. And I love the one-on-one -on -one matchups that wide receivers have versus a running back. I feel like running backs, a lot has to happen with the offensive line and stuff like that. But when you're looking at wide receivers, what's fun to me um, is to really look at those one-on-one -on -one matchups, getting off the line of scrimmage and how they win, how they create space to, um, you know, how they manipulate those defenders. So like for me to answer your question, it's wide receivers are what I enjoy watching the most and really trying to hone in on the craft of figuring out which guys are going to translate to our dynasty rosters. Brandon, this is the obligatory question for every guest. Zach Wilson or Justin Fields at QB2? <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, I just did a mock with the guys at the Draft Bible, and I'm going to go with Justin Fields only because of – This um, close to getting kicked off. This close to getting kicked off. No, I was no. ready to hit the button. I don't know. I mean, 
you know, I think, you know, I mean, a year ago we were talking about was Trevor Lawrence or Justin Fields, the number one guy, right? I mean, that was the big debate, you know, and then all of a sudden when, you know, the beloved Felix's guy, you know, Wilson shows up, everyone's starting to question Fields. Yes. Towards the end of the season, did he have some rough games? Yes. But I think he showed his toughness. He's played, you know, for, you know, two solid years of production against good competition. I've seen more with my eyes. I like what I see. I think he's got big upside. I think they both could be very, very successful in the NFL, and they're both going to be top 10 draft picks. So you'll be lucky to get, if you have one of them on your dynasty, you know, Debbie rosters or CTC leagues, be thrilled. But I'm sorry, Felix, I'm going to have to side with Bruning on this one. The real question well, is, can... will the next guy be better than, than Zach Wilson? That's what I really want to know, but we'll save that for when we get to him. Well, let me just point out that out of the four people in this chat, there's only one that's not part of the Debbie Dashboard community. And it's not me. It's not Austin, obviously. So I'm just going to that say that. True. All right. That is true. I'm not. Boy. <laughs> boys, boys, are we ready to get into the Debbie debates with our guest, Mr. Lejeune? Let's do it. All right. Let's do it. First question, Brandon, I know that you are high on Mac Jones. You have been. Um, you actually may be against consensus at this point. Uh, I'm a fan. You put me on to the Saturday to Sunday football podcast. Uh, Matt Caraccio and Paul Pertichese, not very high on Mac Jones. I want to get your take. Will Mac Jones ever be a QB1 in fantasy? Hmm. Um, I, You know what? I think and this is, is a lazy answer to your question that I'm going to start it off, and then I'll get to the details. I think a lot of it has to depend on where he lands. You know, and I think we un don't we underestimate how much important that takes. And I know a lot of guys say, you know, you draft your player, you know, wherever he lands, you draft the talent. I get it. But from a quarterback standpoint, it can make or break, uh, you know, a player. Do I think I think if he were to land in a great like, let's say it's Indianapolis, you got Jonathan Taylor running the ball. You got some stability on the offensive line. You got a good defense. Going back to your Kansas City Chiefs comments, you know, when I was listening before getting on the show, to me, I'm an old school guy. It's about running the football. It's about good defense. That's what the Chiefs need. They never got any running game going, and their defense couldn't, you know, keep up. That was, I think, the reason they didn't go. But if he were to go like to a place like Indianapolis, that he's got a good setting and a good, you know, surrounding cast, I think he could be effective. Is he going to be QB1? Probably not. I would say just outside of that. I mean, right now I got him at like QB4 or 5, just like everybody else. I'm going to go with the athleticism that he doesn't bring to the table, like, you know, the Wilsons and the Lances and stuff like that. So I'm going to go for that upside just from that player standpoint. Um, but I think if he were to land in a great spot with that leaned on a running game that had a good defense, I think he can distribute the ball. We've seen him do it at Oklahoma. You know, the biggest knock and question everybody has is can he maneuver, you know, under pressure? Can he make plays off script? Can he handle the pressure? And, you know, I don't think we really know yet. Um, so if he goes to a team that has a horrible offensive line, like the Philadelphia Eagles right now that are like in disarray with no weapons on the outside to throw the ball to, he's going to struggle. Yeah, I think you, the, the athleticism thing is the big question mark for me. And I don't think he's a bad athlete. Like I see people call him a statue and stuff. And I don't think he is like Kyle Trask is a statue. I don't think Mac Jones is a statue. The, the thing is, and I think it kind of like shifts a little bit every year where the NFL just requires a tiny bit more athleticism at that position every single year. And I just start to wonder with some of these guys, like we're going to talk about Sam Heward here in a few minutes. I'm just wondering if there, the day is coming where those guys just can't quite like the arm is good. And you know, the intelligence is good, but is that enough to make up for the lack of athletic ability and the, and for fantasy purposes, the lack of rushing upside that a lot of these guys give. 
I think like his ceiling is is a is a Kirk Cousins who is an underrated fantasy quarterback. I, I mean, he's a guy that I you know target late when I do these kinds of things, and he puts up good numbers. But and he has been a QB one at times during his yeah, yeah yeah. But yeah. but were we taking Kirk Cousins? Like I know he wasn't considered this. Like like if you. Oh, this is kind of a stupid question. I was going to say, well, if if you had the chance that you knew Mac Jones's career would be Kirk Cousins, where would you take him in a super flex draft this year? I yeah, I mean, I, you would pretty high. Go ahead, go ahead. I, mean, you would, you, I was no, going to say late. I, I was going to say you know late first. You know, it depends. Yep. You know, if you know if you really need a quarterback, I mean, you always draft for you know value, not really for need. I mean, it's kind of the general rule. But to your point. Um, you know, we just watched the goat. The guy can't scramble over the shit, right? I mean, so, I mean, you got Drew Brees, right? He has been successful. He's not a scrambler. I mean, he'll, you know, maybe punch it in at the goal line. But look at those environments that those two players play in. I mean, they've always had good offensive lines, good head coaches, good offensive systems. And I think if Kirk Cousins were to land in a situation that had that surrounding talent and that, you know, coaching capacity, I think he could sneak in there to be a QB1. Yeah, I think it's an easy answer. Yes, he can sneak in to be a QB1. I mean, Austin, you just compared him to Kirk Cousins. Kirk Cousins finished his QB11 this year. Right behind him, Matt Ryan, who's probably just as mobile as Mac Jones right now in his career. Tom Brady was up there in the top 10. Derek Carr, now he's obviously a little bit more mobile than Mac Jones, but 13. Ben Roethlisberger, Matt Stafford, Baker Mayfield. Mac Jones has a very safe floor. I've talked about it before. I do think he's a very smart player. I don't really think... While landing does matter, like what Brandon was saying, I think with the way that it seems like he processes the game, I think wherever he goes, he's going to be a good quarterback. You're not going to get the upside of Trey Lance, Zach Wilson, Justin Fields, Trevor Lawrence give you like Brandon just mentioned. But I think his floor is much safer than a Zach Wilson and Trey Lance. And I think him going to a team, those NFL teams are going to know what they've got in him. That's why they're drafting him. He's going to go, everybody thinks, in the top 15. So, Outside of the Patriots, I don't. There's a lot of teams in there that still have weapons he could go to. So I think wherever he goes, if you're saying will he ever finish as a QB one, I'm going to say yes. That gives me a lot. I think he's got at least maybe eight to ten year career. That's a long time for him to just to finish as QB one time. QB one one time. I, I thought that Zach Wilson earlier in the season had the best opportunity to land in a good situation because you know he was just uh, beginning to get first round buzz. Right, Nobody saw right. him going in the fifth, and so right. I'm like, this guy's going to end up in you know in New Orleans or right. in in San Francisco. That's not going to happen now, but it could happen for Matt Jones. Now Matt right. Jones is the player who's going to be taken you know in the late first round in an, in a better situation. So we'll see what happens with him come April. All right, let's go to a true C two C Debbie. Question and the question is Brock Vandegrift or Sam Heward for your 2021 freshman quarterback. Now, let me set this up a little bit for the people who don't know who this who these two players are. Sam Heward, the five-star quarterback, the freshman headed to the Washington Huskies from Washington State. He is the second ranked 2021 freshman quarterback according to 24-7 sports rankings. Brock Vandegrift, on the other hand, is a four-star quarterback. Headed to Georgia from Georgia, originally committed to Lincoln Riley in Oklahoma. He is the fourth rated quarterback, according to 24-7 Sports. Brandon, you're obviously going to go with the consensus five-star guy, so we can just move on, right? You're going Sam Heward? No, I'm not. I would go Vandegrift. You know, um, after watching them, I like the mobility he has. When in watching Sam Heward or Howard or however you say it, I mean, he, I never really saw him run around very much. 
I never saw him. He had a very clean pocket. I like the size of Vandegrift better. I think he has an op- a big arm. I did on my last podcast. I compared, you know, Williams and Vandegrift and kind of just talked about their skill sets. And uh, the guy has got mobility. Um, and I didn't see that in Sam. So I like his size better. He's got C six three already, two oh five, and uh Hubert is about 190. So I'm I'm going with the upside in Georgia. And Washington, I question what playmakers they're really going to put around him for him to truly succeed. That's another concern that I have. I'd rather take the guy going to Georgia. Oh, you did not just question those Huskies playmakers. Oh, I know. Not just do that. Austin, tell our guests why he's wrong. I'm not even going to answer this question because Austin's going to answer Sam, it for me. So go ahead. Sam Cement Shoes Heward. Go ahead, Austin. Go, 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 go ahead. <laughs> I, I feel like I've opened up a can of worms here. Is I'm, am I going to get blasted here or something? <laughs> I, I do concede that, that Vandegrift is the more mobile player. I think he is more of the archetype of what teams are looking for now. But Heward is probably the only guy in this class. Like, I don't like this quarterback class. There's not a single guy in this class that excites me really that much as, like, as a complete package. Like last year, I loved Bryce Young and I liked, and I loved DJU. I, there's not a guy in that level. But Heward is probably the best thrower of the ball in this class. I think, you know, he uh, consistently all three levels of the field, you know, he can, he's a lot better than a lot of other quarterbacks, but you know, go, I think the situation in Washington is underrated. I love Jalen McMillan, who was one of my top wide receivers in last year's class. Um, they only played like four games or whatever this year. We didn't really get to break out, but I, I, I just love Jalen McMillan. He's, you know, he's basically Rakeem Jarrett light. Like for those that missed out on Rakeem Jarrett and last year's like I, Jarrett was too expensive for me last year in drafts, but I was like, I'll go get Jalen McMillan who I think is virtually the same player. And then they also have Puka Nasua who I really, really like as well. Just another kind of raw athletic kid um, who's flashed in his couple years there. And then I don't know how to pronounce this guy's first name. If it's Rome or Rome, a but he's like in that same mold where just this big athletic kid. I mean, I think like outside of the top couple of teams that have been hoarding these wide receivers for the past couple of years, <laughs> Ohio State, <laughs> um, I think I think Washington has as good of a wide receiver group as any in the country. Yeah, I mean, Kate Otten will probably be his, one of his primary targets, too. So you got another playmaker there. Um so, I mean, I, I, I thought Vandegrift, his arm strength was outstanding. I mean, the guy was throwing lasers, man, all over the field. I mean, intermediate throws were like horizontal. I just love his velocity. So, um, but the bottom line is all these kids, when they come out, they're going to get in these developmental programs. And like you said, I agree with you, Austin. I, there's not one clear guy that is just lights out above everyone else. Although I think Williams to me is still at the top, just for his mobility is unreal. So that's true. I, I watch him and I'm just blown away what he does in the open field. Oh, he's, I wish yeah, he could throw. If he yeah, could it, throw, I'd be so excited. Yeah, he can throw. Um, but you know, I came away watching his film reminding me of Jalen Hurts. You yeah, know, it's yeah. like, dude, throw the ball, stop running. I mean, when the play broke down, he would immediately go to run instead. Where Brock Vandegrift, if you compare them, and I talked about this on my podcast last week, was Brock was always keeping his eyes down the field. Like now he's mobile. He's going to go east to west, but he's going to continue to look down the field because he wants to stretch the field and throw the ball that where I felt Williams was tuck it and run it. And I'm going all the time. And that's what always frustrated me with Hertz. Um, just he would just run constantly without going through his progressions, yeah. you know, trying to maneuver at least to make a play going down the field. So I'm I'm with Austin. I'm I'm more on Heward than I am Vandegrift. Not that I don't like Vandegrift, but I have a question for you, Brandon. I don't know if I think Felix is going to go Vandegrift. He took him like the first round of a C2C draft. So I'll ask you guys this question. 
Does it worry you guys at all about him going to Georgia? I know they get a lot of weapons there, but I'm not necessarily sure I believe in Kirby Smart being able to develop him into a top-tier quarterback. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I don't know the coaches. All I know, I think it'll be a good thing that he goes there and sits under JT Daniels for a season. Let him learn and let's see what happens. You know, everyone has high hopes for JT Daniels, right? So he's in the same spot. Is I mean, is he going to develop this offseason? He's a guy that could possibly rise next year and creep into that top five or six spot in 2022 QBs. We don't know yet. Um, but I, I like the fact that Vandegriff is going to go and sit behind for his freshman year. I think that's always a good thing instead of rushing these kids out on the field. Two, just two things, two points to tie up this conversation on Vandergrift versus old cement shoes. Um, one is that, Brandon, <laughs> I agree. I agree with you. I agree with you. Vandergrift keeps his eyes downfield when he's under pressure. There's a play from his junior season where he is rolling to his right and there's a DN bearing down on him. He ends up getting hit, but he tosses this backside post to his left on a dime about 40 yards down the field. I mean, like, Yes, that's what – and he can make throws off platform. I mean, he has a little bit of Zach Wilson in his game. Austin, you said earlier that the athleticism, the athleticism required to play the position is inching a little bit more. Uh, being, You need to be more athletic at the position. Well, uh, Heward has less athleticism than, than Jones displays. So, you know, I can't – as much – yes, he's a great – he throws all these deep shots, and you see that, but he's playing in Washington State, which isn't renowned for its high school football. So give me – as a matter of fact, give me the two guys who can move and make uh, plays off platform. One of those is Vandegrift. The other is the one that's going to Michigan and J.J. McCarthy. So I'm actually going to take both of those guys over Sam Heward. All right, let's move <laughs> on to a, another Debbie – the question, um, Travion Henderson, should he be the 101 in all C2C freshman drafts? Henderson, of course, the uber-talented, uber-productive high school product, ran for nearly 2,500 yards his junior season, headed to Ohio State for a team that's trying to reload, is going to have a new quarterback. Brandon, Travion Henderson or the field at the 101 in freshman drafts? I'm taking Henderson right now. I mean, I think the opportunities there, the guy's electric. He really is in the second level. He's, I mean, his lateral mobility without, you know, without deaccelerating and his acceleration of his brakes, I thought was great. Um, but yeah, I mean, for me, I, that's who I'm taking. Yeah, I wish he was just a little bit bigger. Mm -hmm. Like I thought, um, like I loved Bijan last year. Like I thought he was the clear number one. I thought the composite had it right. But he always just looked bigger than Travion. Like, I, like not only is Travion way less than Bijan coming into school, but Bijan also packed on like 15 pounds or whatever. I'm not sh like I, I the, that's the only question I have about Henderson is whether he can actually gain that weight. Mm -hmm. um, but I do think I like him a lot. I think he is the 101 because, like I said, none of these quarterbacks blow me away. Like I honestly just think like outside receiver, this recruiting class just isn't very good. Now, obviously, there's like a ton of risk saying that about a bunch of high school kids that are going <laughs> to yeah. grow and mature and change so much over the next four years. But right. um, there there really is not like a, you know, I call them in my rankings like a tier zero player, in my opinion. You know, like a guy that's just it can't miss that's going to that, that is like the rock, the anchor right. on, a, on a draft in the future. I, I just don't see that in this class. And maybe somebody will emerge over the next few years. Um, but I think the thing that also these kids have working against them is that now they're coming into a lot of these programs where there's kids staying an extra year that 
yeah. didn't necessarily, you know, wouldn't have been able to basically any other time in the history of the NCAA. So um, this, this, this recruiting class as a whole is very, very interesting to me, but I guess I, I would probably take Henderson at the one one yeah, I agree with Austin exactly what he just said about the quarterbacks was going to be the only point that I'd make. is if, Assuming, obviously, most of our C2C leagues are super flex. I haven't been in one that isn't. If you had a, a DJU or a Bryce Young in this class, I would take them over Henderson, but that's it. I, I don't like any of these quarterbacks enough to take them. You know, as, It helps that he's going to Ohio State. So I, say, I mean, even if he went to that team up north and, and Ibuka was there on the board, I'd still take Henderson, uh, even though I hate having players that play for that team. But Henderson, to me, is by far the best running back in this class. One of the few guys in this class that I, I'm not as worried about is, as some other people. Well, I don't think Austin's worried about him just based on the size, but I, I have no doubts about him projecting forward and being an, an all-star running back. Well, it's interesting that you both mentioned his size because he has been comped to Christian McCaffrey. Christian McCaffrey was only about 205 pounds. So, you know, uh, maybe he's an, an uber uh, talented and athletic prospect who can get away with being sub, you know, 210. Maybe he plays at 208 or something like that eventually. But, but if he can get over 210 pounds, then I think that the weight isn't a concern. All right, let's move on. And we are going to answer that question from uh, – uh, post there. Post. Um, post. It's, it's post. 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 Yes, post. All right. Um, another – now we're going to go south to Texas. Steve Car- Sarkeesian, the offensive genius there, he is um, bringing his, his Alabama uh, offensive scheme and his Falcons offensive scheme to Texas. So I want to know, Casey Thompson, will he hold off Hudson Card for the starting quarterback position there for the Longhorns? Sam Ellinger making the jump to the NFL. So we've got, again, Thompson, who has played sparingly be- behind Ellinger. He, Thompson was the number 14 dual-threat quarterback, number 26 overall quarterback in 2018, behind guys like Justin Fields, Adrian Martinez, Spencer Sanders. Hudson Card, though, was the number four dual-threat quarterback and number six overall in the 2020 class behind Bryce Young, DJ Uyagalele, CJ Stroud. I've even said that he is Bryce Young light. Brandon, how do you see this one playing out with the offensive genius Sarkeesian at Steve Sarkeesian at the helm? Um, I would think that him coming into a new situation like he is, he's going to go with the more experienced player. I would think unless Hudson card comes in and blows him away, I think he's going to go with Thompson only because he's, we saw a little bit of him last year and he, I think he, he's going to have to figure it out when he gets into camp and really see these guys live for the first time and work with them. And I don't, you know, I mean, I, I have no crystal ball. I have no idea if I'm in his shoes. Um, if they both are kind of the same, I'm probably going to go with the guy that has a little bit more athleticism and a little bit more experience. So, and I'm not sure who that is at this moment. Yeah, I think there was a really good article that came out this week on The Athletic uh, interviewing three coaches that I believe were associated with the Texas Longhorns last year. And I don't know if the article insinuated there they left with uh, the, you know, the coaching change or not. Um, but they, they asked him a bunch of questions just about, you know, what the roster looks like there and what to kind of expect, um, to, or to guess at what is going to shake out with Sark there in his first year. Um, and there was some really, it was a really good article. If you have a, a subscription to the athletic, I would highly recommend it, but they talk about the quarterbacks and, um, there's a line in here saying that Sark went on a podcast last week with Stuart Mandel, basically saying that he wouldn't have taken a head coaching job without a good quarterback on the roster. Like that was a thing that he needed in order to accept a coaching job. I just have a really hard time believing 
that he was like, oh yeah, Casey Thompson. That's why I'm going to Texas. <laughs> yeah. You know, like like I mean, Thompson did look good in that bowl game, but I I I have to believe that he was talking about Card in that scenario. Um, and the coaches raved about Card. They said he looked really good in practice last year. Um, they and they basically, I mean. Uh, the, I'm sure there there was this huge long interview, and then the the guy writing it, you know, kind of cut out the quotes to to do whatever he wanted to with them. But basically, the way they they phrased it in here was that Casey Thompson was fine, but Card has just is just dripping with upside, and that Sarka is really going to want to work with that. So I think I'm do, I'm in a mock right now. I took Hudson Card in like the fifth round, I think, of um, a C2C startup, um, and I think that that might look like a steal by year's end. Yeah, I actually this year traded Sam Darnold for I was in a league that I was rebuilding for cuts and hard Hudson cards. So that's good news. Yeah. So just to reference that article here for Austin, I, I figured I'd show it. Oh, I just got kicked out, didn't I? <laughs> well, I uh, go ahead, Felix. I, I'm, I My computer's not working. Go ahead. Listen, I, I took a look at Casey Thompson uh, in preparation for the today's show, and I was very impressed with what I saw. This kid c- came in as a backup quarterback in the Alamo Bowl and would not stop throwing the ball less than 30 yards down the field. He was just throwing it down the field, every single play, throwing the ball down the field, and was connecting, and was connecting, and uh, and showed some mobility. I went back and looked at his high school stats. This is a kid who averaged 14.6 yards per attempt his senior and junior seasons. Now, I don't know what that what the equivalent is at, at the high school level, but when you talk about the college level, anything over 10 or so is just showing, you know, being really aggressive, throwing the ball downfield. And here is uh, Casey Thompson playing in New Jersey, I believe, averaging 14.6 yards per attempt. So he is an aggressive player and I wouldn't sell him short and you know maybe he doesn't get the job there but maybe he transfers somewhere next year and we see him really develop he's six one I believe 190 something pounds but he's got some gunslinger to him and I really like his game especially what we saw in the Alamo Bowl. Bruning you got anything to add before we move on? We might have lost him. We might have lost him all right here we go all right uh we're going to come back to you, um, Brandon. We want to talk about the Alabama backfield a little bit. Stacked backfield. They got Kamar Wheaton, who was supposed to go to Oklahoma, but he's the number four running back, a four-star prospect. They got Jace McClellan. They've got Brian Robinson, who feels like he's been there for years Forever, and years. Yeah. I mean, four years already, I think. And they've got Trey Sanders, who was the number one running back in the 2019 class. Who – who of these four are you saying I need to have on my Devi or my C2C rosters? Well, out of all those, it's going to be Chase McClellan. Uh, Trey Sanders, I have a ton of shares of. I mean, I, we all bought him last year. You know, unfortunately, he got into that accident and didn't get on the field this year. So um, it's a hip injury. Apparently, surgery went well. He'll be back. I mean, I can all, I imagine it's going to be McClellan and Trey Sanders. Um, I, I can't imagine Wheaton getting here and getting on the field with all of that talent in front of him. So, um, and Keelan Robinson, I think is going to be sprinkled in. I mean, he's a big kid. He's six one two two thirty or two twenty five or something like that. So, I mean, I, maybe it's just a timeshare. I mean, I got lots of shares in McClellan and Trey Sanders. So I have no Robinson shares and well, I'm sure I have got a few Wheaton shares as we do our drafts coming up, but I'm going to, I'm going to say McClellan and Trey Sanders. And I think it's going to be a battle between those two. Austin, who you got between those four? 
Oh, man. I think Rob, well, I think they'll probably split those carries pretty cleanly next year. Um, I, I have to imagine Robinson probably gets the bulk of the touches. Um, I think Wheaton needs a year. I just, I'm not a big Wheaton guy. I see a lot of Chuba Hubbard when I watch him, and that's like not a good thing. Um, a lot, a lot to learn at the position. I think they'll, they'll, you know, a little bit of thunder and lightning combo with, with McClellan and, and Robinson. But I, I'm still saying don't forget about Sanders, man. I mean, a couple of weird injuries is not, I mean, it's not the end of the world for him. I, I think Saban's going to give him every opportunity to get touches in yeah. that backfield next year. I think that all four of these guys are going to be a little more expensive than I'm willing to pay because there is going to be a committee backfield there. And I don't know that, you know, anyone we see any one of these guys as being a potential first round draft pick, you know, or, or, you know, first round or second round pick. Um, And I wouldn't be surprised at all if Bryce Young led Alabama in rushing next year, even though Young kind of scrambles to throw. But I could see because the touches are going to be split between those four that Bryce Young actually leads uh, Alabama in rushing, but they could be throwing the ball all, all over the place. Bruni, it looks like you're back with us. Do you have any – is there one of these Alabama running backs that you need to have above the others? Well, I, I like Jace better, but I think Brian Robinson's going to get more more run. And just to finally throw this up here, the thing that finally kicked me off my screen, just just to give you guys in full context of what Austin was talking about earlier with this article, just because I, I thought it was kind of funny. That was more about Bijan Robinson, though. But anyways, yeah, I think it's going to be split between those two guys. I do agree with Austin. Kamar Wheaton likely doesn't get much work this year. Uh, it just seems like that's what Alabama does, right? They hold on to these running backs, and then right as they get to that junior, senior year, that's when those guys start to get playing time. So I'm going to lean those those two guys. I honestly think Trey Sanders might end up uh, transferring, if I had to guess. So. All right, one more backfield before we jump into a freshman rookie draft. We want to talk about Oklahoma. Again, stacked. You had uh, Eric Gray transfer there. He can do kind of everything. You got Kennedy Brooks, who sat out this year, who is going to come back next year. You got the redshirt freshman, redshirt sophomore next year in Marcus Major. You got TJ Pledger, and you got Seth McGowan, who a lot of people were high on. This is a ridiculously uh, loaded backfield, loaded or a lot of bodies there. Brandon, is there one uh, of these guys that you prefer above uh, the others? Well, I was really bummed when Eric Gray decided to go to Oklahoma because you, you and I um, you know, had talked about Marcus Major before. I was hoping that maybe this would get his shot. He's a young guy who you know, really had some nice carries at, towards the end of last year. Um, I, I don't. McGowan kind of fell off last year a little bit, um, probably more because of Stevenson had arrived and they just pretty much fed him the fed him the ball. But I have to think that Eric Gray got the green light that he's going to be getting play time. Given if he's got aspirations of going to the NFL, I can't imagine he would decide to go there if, in fact, that the coaching staff hadn't said something to him like, "Yeah, you're going to be an integral part of this." I'm going to have to say Eric Gray gets uh, a lot of the carries, and maybe they give McGowan. Like we talked about pre-show, you know, we got chased in the second level, you know, and they kind of pulled him out a little bit. But um, you know, maybe he can be more the short game guy, and then they put Eric Gray in. But again, it's going to be one of these these backfields that is going to really be interesting to see how it all pans out. Bruning, do any one of these five guys, do any any one stick out um, over and above any of the others to you? 
Yeah, for me, it's going to be Eric Gray, and that's just because I'm probably going to make you happy with this one. It really seemed like Oklahoma's offense and Spencer Rattler played better when Ramondre Stevenson started doing what he was doing with that backfield, and I think Eric Gray has the best chance to replicate that for that offense. I think Seth McGowan's probably right behind him in that, but give me Gray, and I'm not even that big of a, of a great guy. I mean, I, I traded him straight up for Grant Cannell, of all people, So, uh, but I, I do think Gray goes <laughs> – uh, I figured Austin liked that. I, I do think Greg goes in there and gets the job. That's why That's why I think he eventually landed there instead of going to Texas. I think he knew with Bijan he wasn't going to get any kind of run going to Oklahoma. I, I would think maybe some kind of talk with Lincoln Riley kind of secured him that job, or he knows he's going to be part. I know we're talking about two blue blood power five programs, but the answer could be no one at either of these two schools. Maybe Jace McClellan has the highest ceiling, but both of these offenses are going to revolve around their quarterbacks, Bryce Young in Alabama and Spencer Rattler in Oklahoma. I think both of these two teams make it to the playoff uh, next year. I think that they're going to run through their schedule. So we'll see what happens with their backfields with these loaded backfields. All right. Now, we're going to do an exercise that I am admittedly terrified to do. Um, I have not dived into these freshmen like, uh, like you know, like you guys may have. So you're probably going to whip my behind here. But we're going to do a freshman draft. We're going to do a freshman draft, freshman only. This 2021 class. It's consider this. We're going to do two rounds. 12 team super flex tight end premium. Not that there's an Air, uh, uh, Eric Gilbert or a Michael Mayer in this class that I see, but maybe Brandon knows of one. So, Brandon, we will give you the honors of the first pick. That means oh. the clock is really on me. Um, and I got to figure out who I'm going to take. So, all right, Brandon, we'll give you the, the first pick. Go ahead. I'll just take Henderson. Easy enough, Henderson. No discussion needed. Felix was really hoping for some more time there. <laughs> <laughs> Which Henderson? I was hoping for some yeah. more time. I was hoping for some more time. I'm, I'm sorry. Gonna, did I'm I, did you... I too short? Was I too short with that pick? A... <laughs> you got to give me like 30 seconds. I do have two players in mind. Do, is there anything else you want to say about Henderson? I think we spoke about him earlier. I think he's dynamic in the field. Right. So I'm going to go gonna with keep, his feet, Brandon. keep his feet to the fire, thank Brandon. You. Keep his feet that's to that's the fire. Right. Let's yeah, go, Felix. Right. Let's go. Thank you, Brandon. Thank you, Brandon. I'm, I, I really like what I see out of Brian Thomas, the Louisiana wide receiver who's going to LSU. Um, he actually reminds me a little bit of Preston Williams, and Brian Thomas actually wears number 11, and he wears green and white the way Preston Williams uh, did at Colorado. Big receiver, 6'4", um, 200 pounds or something like that. I'm deciding between him and obviously the number – I don't even know what Brian Thomas is uh, is ranked. I'm considering him or Emeka Abuka, who's the number one receiver. Um, you know, you look at Abuka's film and he's making these one-handed catches. <laughs> obviously, I've got my uh, Brock Vandergriff, who I consider, but there are other quarterbacks that I could take um, who will get playing time even before Brock Vandergriff does. So I think that I am going to go. I'm not going to go running back here. I'm going to go wide receiver. Unfortunately, it's an Ohio State player. I'm going to go with Emeka Abuka and just hope that he can that that you know Brian Hartline keeps his promises and turns Emeka Abuka into a first round wide receiver, even though he hasn't turned anybody into a first round wide receiver up until this point. So I'm going to go with Emeka Abuka Austin, or actually Bruning. We're going to you. Who you got? 
has a has a wide receiver from Michigan even been drafted up before like fourth <laughs> round in the past ten years? Nah, I didn't think so. Is that uh, I'm I'm going super. It's super flex tight end, right? I didn't miss that part, so I'm gonna go with my QB one. I'm glad Austin didn't pick before me. I'm gonna I'm gonna take Sam Heward at super flex. I'm gonna take my guy right here. Not really much else to say about it. I'm I'm cool getting my top quarterback right here. So, Sam Heward, you're going with Sam C- Cement Shoes. Yeah. yeah. All right. <laughs> Sam Cement Shoes Heward. That's right. Sam Heward. All right, Austin, you're at number four. Who are you taking? Uh, this is where knowing because I know that if I don't take this quarterback, he might not be there the next time through, but it's okay. I'm going to take Aguia Hall. He's my top wide receiver in this class. He's going to Bama. Um, big kid. He's like 6'3, 190 or something like that. Uh, there's he has that smoothness that you don't always see from those bigger guys. Like he he's got like that AJ Green type skill set, um, and I think Bama the cupboard is actually like moderately bare there at wide receiver right now. Um, like I don't I didn't love any of the wide receivers they brought in last year, and really outside of Mechie, they don't have anyone on the roster that's super proven. I guess Slade Bolden or whatever. Um, not exactly exciting. So I, I think there's a chance for some of these freshmen to come in right away. And I think Hall has as good of a chance as any of them. I feel like I still need more time. Actually, no, I don't. You know what I'm going to do? Uh, I kn- well, you're going to skip Brandon? I mean, it's, it's my turn. Oh, Brandon. Oh, my bad. My bad. Go ahead, Brandon. My bad. So I'm going to take Khalib Williams. I'm going with the upside. It's a super flex. Every league I'm in that I don't have a QB, I stink. So, um, you know. <laughs> I am always going to take QBs and C2C leagues. I'm going to swing the fences. His, you know, I, I think he's got the arm strength. He's going to wait. It's going to, I'm going to be patient, but I'm going with the upside pick with this guy. Um, now, the pandemic, it seems, has, has thrown off some of these, um, the opening times and, get, and getting some of those results. And so we don't have that stuff for players um, that we normally would. But we have it for this player, and that's Will Shipley, who's going to Clemson. Ran a sub 4-5, and I see Austin's reaction. That means I'm making a good decision here. What might be the most athletic or at least the most athletic uh, running back as far as testing goes in this class. You got Travis Etienne leaving Clemson. I mean, Will Shipley might start as a freshman. Now, he seems a little bit of undersized to start as a freshman, but he's definitely going to have the opportunity. So it's a pretty easy pick for me. I'm going to go here at number six, Will Shipley. I'm writing it down. Well, since my running back one is off the board and I was able to get my quarterback one, I'm going to go ahead and take my wide receiver one in Ja'Cory Brooks because he's still available. I really thought that uh, maybe Austin would have taken him over a guy guy there, but he did not. Uh, I, I I love Brooks here. I know a lot of people uh, really like him. So I'm going to go ahead Ja'Cory Brooks. You can where is he going, you know, Bruno? Where, where, Alabama. I have sorry. no idea Alabama who that is. Wide receiver. He's going Alabama to Alabama. Alabama wide receiver. Okay. Yeah. See, I represent the six, audience here, so I'm trying six, to... 6'3", 185, uh, five-star. Was it, I think he's number two in the class, right, Austin? Let me... I, yes. I, I got to pull up. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Yeah, yeah. he's my number two as well. Um, oh, man. It's a super flex, so I'm going to... I guess I'll take a quarterback. I'm going to go Tyler Buchner, and I get... I, I mean, I think this is starting to become a little more chalky at this point. People are starting to identify Buchner as a guy that probably is better than his rank in the composite, which is right around QB10. Dual threat kid, um, no senior year because California schools didn't play high school football this year, and he missed uh, his sophomore year, a large chunk of it due to injury. Um, but junior year was really, really, really good. I think he has one of the better arms in this class. Um, and I wish that Notre Dame had a different coaching staff because I don't think he has a chance to go in and play first year. They'll play 
boring old Jack Cohn, and they'll win nine games, and uh, everyone will, you know, people will debate about whether they should fire Kelly or not. But um, I think it might be wheels up in year two for him. So I'll go Tyler Buchner, quarterback, Notre Dame. Brandon, we are back to you with the number nine pick. Who are you taking? Well, I got my my running back first. I got my QB. Now I'm going receiver, and I'm going to take uh, JoJo Earl. He is a dynamic playmaker from Bama. Watching him, I made a couple game films on him. He reminds me of Jalen Waddle. So he's five foot nine, one seventy. So he's not typically the kind of receiver that I like. He's a little guy. Um, usually, I kind of like him a little bigger and physical. But uh, four three speed. 4.36 verified speed. So he's a speedster. You watch his film. He's dynamic all over the field. So I'm going to go with the upside. He's undersized, but I, you know, I think he could be a Jalen Waddle size by the time he, um, you know, as far as weight wise, anyway, by the time he comes out in three years, I tell you what, this draft is going great for me because I'm getting players that I like and uh, I've waited till Guys, number 10 to make yet? this. No, not, no, I'm all guys that I've scouted. That's all the, that's no, the okay. only thing that I'm taking is guys that I've scouted. Oh, um, gotcha. That's uh, yeah. So um, we so yeah. So I get to take my favorite player, my favorite quarterback in this class after taking Emeka Ibuka, after taking Will Shipley. I'm going to get Brock Vandergriff here oh. at number ten. That's an easy, easy pick uh, for me because he's my number one quarterback in this class. So, Bruning, we are back to you. Go ahead. Uh, so I need a running back here. I'm going to go with LJ Johnson, 5'10", 204. He is RB3 for 247, RB4 in the composite, verified 442 speed, uh, has that top end speed. I like his low center of gravity when he runs the ball. So give me him. He is going to Texas A&M. Yeah. Yeah, I, I appreciate you taking him for me, Matt, because it, it makes this next decision a little bit easier. I am going to take Lonnie White Jr. And I have mm. figured you'd get your guy eventually. I have been doing the show circuit over the past couple of months, just heaping loads and loads of praise on this kid. He's going to Penn State. Um, a little lower ranked in the composite. He's right around number 30. Um, but I think that's because he played a lot of Wildcat quarterback up until this year where they, he finally dedicated himself to wide receiver. I think he has one of the better sets of hands in this class. And I think the depth chart behind Parker Washington and Jahan Dotson just is not very good there. So I think he has every opportunity to get some snaps as a true freshman. Who was that? You have been one of those Lonnie white jr. Lonnie white jr. Yeah. He's like, he loves him. Austin loves him. And if I could just co-sign, I've, I've been able to watch some Lonnie white because of Austin, um, played quarterback and then played uh, – as a matter of fact, I was like, why isn't this guy playing quarterback at the next level? He's a mobile guy, explosive player. Um, and I, I can't wait to see what he's going to do at Penn State from Pennsylvania. And so they're going to love him uh, in Happy Valley there. So, all right, that's the end of the first round. Um, I don't even think I could say all of these names. Let's see. We got Trevion – we got Henderson, Emeka Buka, Sam Heward, is it Aggie Hall? How do you say his name? <laughs> Dealer's choice, I think. Just call him a, just call him a guy, guy. All right. Uh, Caleb Williams, Will Shipley, Ja'Cory Brooks, Tyler Buchner, JoJo Earl, uh, Brock Vandergriff, LJ Johnson, Lonnie White. I'm glad that I got through that without having another goof. All right, here we go. Brandon, we're back to you at the top of round two. Pick 13. Who are you taking? I'm going to, uh, again, wait on another quarterback. I'm, I'm doubling down on the QBs early here. I'm going to take Kyle McCord of Ohio State. Fuck. Um, I really so, didn't think anybody was going to take him. 
he's actually I've been watching a lot of him because he, you know, is about 30 minutes from me in Philadelphia at St. Joe's Prep. My actually my brother went to St. Joe's Prep and my other brother, you know, lives two blocks away from where they play ball down there, down in Center City. So um, and I just made a game film of Marvin Harrison Jr. and really liked what I saw with Kyle McCord. He's got the mobility. He's already got the size, 6'3", 215, five-star prospect. Super flex league. I'm, I'm doubling down on the uh, quarterback early. Yeah, that was oh, a great pick. Oh. He's going to be the starter for Ohio State this year. So congratulations, Brandon. Uh, Brandon, if you didn't know, Mr. McCord has a gun to uh, – to Mr. Bruning's head and has made at all say times. that. So, all right. At all times. All right, here we go. Um, I'm not, I'm not hiding that. I, I'm not as uh, adept to this class as I yet. I will be, and, but I am going to go with uh, the player that I mentioned earlier. He's one of the bigger athletic wide receivers. Um, I believe he can be a physical presence uh, at LSU. And again, he reminds me, he reminds me of a little bit of Preston Williams. And so I'm going to take, Brian Thomas Jr., the six foot four, you know, however, but one of the bigger wide receivers in this class at LSU. So give me Brian Thomas. All right, Bernie, we'll back right, to you. So I got to take a Buckeye at some point in this draft. I just wouldn't be, it wouldn't be right if I didn't. So I'm going to take Evan Pryor, 5'10, 190. Uh, let's see here. Four star. What was he on 247 here? Austin, can you help me out real quick? Never mind. Seven uh, with six as the composite ranking. Uh, verified four three one shuttle. I think uh, he's going to be really good. Me and Austin have talked about. It. I know Austin's actually talked about him here and on his other podcast a lot, the Campus Two Canton podcast. Uh, think he will split time with Trevion Henderson next year because I do think him and uh, Henderson and Teak will split time this year uh, a lot. But he's can do everything. Really good change in directions and uh, good high end speed. Also a very good pass catcher. Uh, this this gives me a tough decision at this point. Um, mm-hmm. I guess I'll go at this point. I'm just taking BPA. I'm going to go Destin Hill. He's my wide receiver five in the class out of Louisiana. He is going to Florida state six foot 200, the number 19 wide receiver in the composite, I believe number 18, number 19. Yes. Um, good burst, good athleticism um, ran. I mean, uh, we, we don't have a lot of times for some of these guys this year because of everything going on, but he has a verified 1109 meter, which translates to about a four five forty, just a little bit over that. Um, so you got to figure he can get that a little bit faster. Um, and Florida state, just not again, another team doesn't have a lot there right now. The cupboard's kind of bare. Um, I think he can go in and competes for touches as a freshman. Who was that Austin? Who did you take? It's a Destin Hill. Dustin Hill. All right. All right, Brandon, we are back to you. We're getting pretty deep here, or at least it feels like. Yeah, we are so. getting kind of deep. Um, I'm going to go with I'm going to go with Camaro Edmonds going to North Carolina. Big kid, Ooh, 5'11", like- 227 pounds. I like big running backs. Um, I think he has an opportunity. I'm not sure who's going to be running the ball in North Carolina this year. So he's as good as uh, any opportunity to get on the field. That'll make the production and metric and analytic guys happy if he actually gets on the field this year. But playing with Sam Howell, I think if he comes into camp, you know, four-star prospect, I don't have a 40 on him, but um, I'm going to go with the upside with him going to North Carolina. 
He's got the prototypical size, and we actually profiled him on an earlier show of the Debbie debate. So I like that because of, you know, North Carolina losing two backs. And I'm actually – I was already planning on going back to North Carolina with my pick. I'm going to take the last five-star quarterback, according to uh, 24-7 being Drake May. Um, he uh, Sam Howell is going to be gone after this year. And so give me a quarterback who's going to start as a, either a redshirt freshman or a sophomore. Bruning, we're back to you. Uh, so I want to get at least one more quarterback in this draft. So I'm going to take a Jackson Dart going to USC 6-3-2-10, number 12 uh, for two four seven nine in the composite rankings. Uh, what did I put down here on him? So I like uh, his touch on the ball uh, and his versatility. Very accurate passer. And I do think he eventually takes over next year once Keaton Slovis moves on. Assuming he does. If he has another bad year, maybe he'll be back again. But I would imagine he leaves for the draft after next year, leaving Dart to take over. All right. So I'm going to go. Uh, Let me just add that Austin is having fun here because, you know, Austin and Colin go so deep in their show. If you're not listening to the Campus to Canton podcast, yeah. they do this all the time. So Austin is just in his, all, all his glory right now, picking all his guys where I'm struggling. Go ahead, Austin. Who you got? Yeah, it's been a lot of fun. A lot of my guys are following to me here. So this is this has made me very happy. Um, so I'm going to take Travion Cooley here, a running back that I think um, like the online, you know, Debbie community likes more than it seems like. The ranking services do. He's a number 20 or number 19 running back in the composite. He's a very high three star. Um, going to Louisville, I like, I, I don't know why this kid is rated so low. Really, really good athlete. He's got like a 4 4 verified 40. And I think he's quicker than he is fast, which is scary. If I, He reminds me just so much of DeAndre Swift. Um, and again, another situation where I think he can go in that Javian Hawkins leaves covered pretty bare there. I think he, he could get some touches here as a freshman. All right, Brandon, last pick for you at 21. Uh, who are you taking? Did anyone take Kamar Wheaton? <laughs> no, I don't believe so. No. Oh. All right. He's, he's, I want to make this easy. He's, he's ranked pretty high. I can't say I've watched a ton of film on this guy, but um, I don't know. I just did three mock drafts this week, Debbie Mocks, you know, with C2C Mocks with Debbie Watch and the Draft Bible, and he was one of the top you know, guys coming off the board. So I can't say I've watched a ton of film on him yet, but um, I'm, I'll take him running back. See what happens. You know, and I'm struggling between two players, JJ McCarthy, who I mentioned earlier and Marvin Harrison jr. Um, who is another, I mean, I just picked a one six foot four wide receiver. I think Marvin Harrison jr. Is six, three or uh, something like that. Very athletic player, you know, doesn't probably won't be a player who tests very well. Um, and I just I am having a hard time between he and McCarthy, um, but I've already got two quarterbacks, so I am going to go with Marvin Harrison Jr. And I'm so glad that I'm done. All right, Bruning, let's go back to you for your last pick. Who you got? So I'm going to go way off the board here, and I'm going to go. I'm going to go Gavin Blackwell. Uh, so he is the 37th ranked uh, wide receiver for 247, 41st uh, in the composite ranking, going to North Carolina, 5'11", 164, 
uh, four star if I didn't mention that. So he was the 55 meter state finalist uh, for him. Fluid runner. I like his awareness to find holes in the defense. Great speed. I like that he played both outside and in the slot. I think with uh, North Carolina losing both Daz Newsom and uh, Deame Brown, he could actually start this year with Sam Howe. Uh, my biggest thing on him is he needs to add weight. But I think he could be a guy who breaks out his freshman season there with that North Carolina offense. You're welcome. <laughs> so my last pick, this is not a pick that I would take anywhere close to this early in an actual draft, but I just want to give this guy a shout out on the show. He's a big favorite of mine. It's Jackson Meeks, a three-star wide receiver that's going to Georgia this year. Um, like for most of these three-star guys, like when I go look at them, I want to see, you know, why is this kid a three-star if I think they look significantly better? And for Meeks, the answer was very easy. He got a knee, significant knee injury the very end of his sophomore year, which knocked him out of all of his junior year. And People that follow the recruiting circuit know that's like when you do your camps and, you know, you're, you know, you're doing all these different activities, you're seven on sevens. And that's when you really start solidifying that, that draft capital. So we missed out on all of this, but he tore it up in Alabama this year, um, playing in like their, their highest level of competition. Um, I think he does, he's not going to play right away. He'll go to Georgia. He'll sit for at least a year. But it would not shock me if it's like Chris Olave with a, with Ohio State a couple years ago where he was an afterthought in that recruiting class. And then we look back in three years and he's like the best receiver that comes out of it. So um, just just to give Jackson Meeks a little bit of, of love on the show here. And let's recap this. So we did two rounds. The first round went Travion Henderson, Emeka Abuka, Sam Howe, Agai Hall, Caleb Williams, Will Shipley, Ja'Cory Brooks, Tyler Buchner, JoJo Earl, Brock Vandegrift. Um, L.J. Johnson, Lonnie White Jr. Then in the second round, we had Kyle McCord, Brian Thomas, Evan Pryor, Destin Hill, Kamaro Edwards, Drake May, Jackson Dart, Travion Cooley, Kamar Wheaton, Marvin Harrison Jr., Gavin Blackwell, and um, Mr. Irrelevant there, Jackson Meeks, uh, Austin with that last pick. All right, we normally close our show with parting shots and – uh, Brandon, I believe you are going to join us with this segment today, so we will turn it over to you for your parting shot. Go ahead, Brandon. I am a disgruntled Eagles fan. My beloved Eagles are at a crossroads. Many problems exist within the organization, and the handling of Carson Wentz is the biggest Philadelphia sports blunder in recent memory. It all starts at the top with Laurie and Roseman. I've been a fan for years, but sometimes change is required to reboot your organization and provide a new vision. This was the moment, and it was lost. Unfortunately, Jeffrey Lurie put his friendship in front of business that usually never works out in the end. The fans in this town expect accountability, and they did not get it. Howie was again given to the keys to the kingdom. Bad drafting, bad cap management, lack of talent has set this organization back for years, and the owner has decided to ignore his production and results. So now they find themselves in a situation where they are trying to trade their former star. He's been in a, it's been an emotional roller coaster ride for the beleaguered quarterback. He needs a fresh start. He needs to go to Indianapolis. Frank Wright spent two seasons, 2016 and 17, as the offensive coordinator in Philadelphia with Wentz as his quarterback. It was his best years. In 2017, he would have won the MVP before tearing his ACL. It's been reported that it was Reich and not Doug Peterson who masterminded the offense and the Philly special. Wentz just finished his worst season in NFL history or in his NFL career. He had 16 touchdown passes to go with 15 interceptions and was sacked 50 times at the top of after and the top off this disastrous season. The one time franchise quarterback was benched in favor of Hertz, who was shockingly selected in the second round of last year's draft. 
It's time for Carson to get a fresh start, and I'm happy for him. Philly is a tough town to play for. Wherever he goes, I'm pulling for him. Your biggest fan. All right, so I'm probably going to be the most unprepared out of all of us because I did not do one, so I was extremely busy today. So I'm just going to go off <laughs> off the head really quick with some stuff uh, that's been, been going on. I, I've, obviously, if you guys follow me on Twitter, you know I've had a pretty rough two past two weeks. And what I've learned from that is something I know we did not – I don't think we talked about it on air, but Brandon mentioned as we were talking before the show starts that I've realized you need to stop working for other people and work for yourself. We do this for fun. A lot of us do this because we love it. Uh, we don't necessarily do this because it's it, it's we're we're not we don't know if we're ever going to make a future out of this. And I've learned through my time in this business and doing stuff that uh, a lot of people who may say have your back don't, and they they don't treat you great, and they use your work for themselves to promote themselves up and never promote yourself. Find people who believe in you and and work with them and support the things that they do. I'm lucky enough to say that I have two people on this podcast uh, that support me and have had my back through everything, and I'm glad to be working with you guys, Colin as well, Alfred, Jarek. There's a couple other people that have supported me throughout all this. Brandon, you've reached out with a lot of nice words as well with everything going on, so I appreciate that. So my biggest takeaway from this is, do what you do for what you love or and do it because you love it, not because you want to gain recognition. Because if you do it that way, I don't think you're going to get the recognition that you think you deserve. The Hall of Fame selection of a beloved Detroit Lions should be a celebration and a celebration only, especially for an unabashed Lions fan who followed the entirety of Calvin Johnson's career from playing with Georgia Tech number 21 on the 2005 NCAA video game all the way through his 10 for 137 performance on the road against Chicago in his final game for the inept Lions franchise. But Calvin's Hall of, Hall of Fame selection was marred by an unnecessary distraction. Calvin was a first ballot Hall of Famer, but Terrell Owens was not. Instead of celebrating the man appropriately nicknamed Megatron, Social media went into a bit of a tizzy, questioning how could Johnson be a first ballot Hall of Famer when Owens had to wait until his third year of eligibility to be honored. It's a reasonable question. Owens finished his career third all-time in both receiving yards and touchdowns and eighth in receptions. As dominant as Johnson was, his career was relatively brief by comparison, and his numbers did not threaten the all-time record books like Owens' numbers did. For comparison, the other first ballot Hall of Fame Wide receivers include Randy Moss, Jerry Rice, Steve Largent, Paul, Warf Paul Warfield, Lance Allworth, and Raymond Berry. The boon of the NFL passing game in the early 2000s arguably revolved around Moss and Owens. Owens is undoubtedly in, undoubtedly in the conversation as one of the three or four best wide receivers of all time. But fans shouldn't pit Johnson and Owens' careers against each other. Both deserved their respective selections. Instead, Fans should direct their attention to the Hall of Fame voters who need to answer some questions themselves. After all, the questioning of Johnson's Hall of Fame selection is their fault. Johnson deserved to be a first ballot Hall of Famer, but so did Owens, period. The fact that he was not is evidence of the voters holding a years-long grudge against Owens, perhaps for doing sit-ups in his driveway during training camp. Sure, Owens had his issues, but let's not pretend that the that first ballot selections are reserved for righteous men. Brett Favre held the Packers hostage for years with threats of retirement, and he forced his way to a division rival. He made questionable decisions off the field during his time in New York. Lawrence Taylor 
Lawrence Taylor's drug abuse and partying didn't prevent him from being selected in the first in the first year of his eligibility. Quite simply, Terrell Owens was an elite player for portions of two decades. Whether someone believed that he was a nice guy should not have played a role in his Hall of Fame selection, but it did, and that's a shame. For those that were not aware, there was a game this past Sunday, and it decided the champion of the National Football League. And there have been a litany, a litany of storylines following the game, including but not limited to the halftime show, which I hated. It gave me motion sickness and finally realized, made me realize that maybe I am old. The score line, the Bucks W. The legacy of a certain Mr. Brady. I can finally admit that he's the GOAT. And the amazement of the general public at the job the NFL did to survive a COVID-impacted season. The storyline I don't see enough people talking about, the winner between the Super Bowl coaching staffs. I mean, sure, Andy Reid and company may have come into the game with a game plan that could conservatively be called arrogant, a game plan in which the Chiefs refused to keep additional blockers and to protect Patrick Mahomes, despite the loss of both of their starting offensive tackles. And yes, Todd Bowles has deservedly received praise for coaching up the Tampa Bay defense, a group that he had humming on all cylinders at the most important part of the year. But that is not what I am referring to. Bruce Arians has long been a proponent of diversity within football. And unlike most NFL personalities, the man has talked the talk and walked the walk. This season, Tampa has minority coaches at both coordinator positions, a feat more rare than it should be. These two coaches' stocks run opposite ends of the spectrum coming into the season. Bulls was coming off a disastrous time in New York with the Jets, finishing with a 24-40 and 40 record there while offensive coordinator Byron Leftwich is often considered an up-and-comer in the coaching circles. But perhaps even more importantly than his two coordinators, Tampa also employs two female coaches, with assistant defensive line coach Lori Locust and assistant strength and conditioning coach Maral Java Defar. On the flip side, not only were the Chiefs thoroughly outcoached, assistant coach Britt Reed, son of head coach Andy Reed, was involved in what is rumored to be a drunk driving accident days before the big game, but was still allowed to be on the sideline for the Super Bowl. I hesitate to make any comments insinuating the KC franchise has become rather loose with their standards, but this is certainly a black eye on a franchise that may have already been sporting two of them. Sometimes actions speak louder than words, and there may not be two coaching staffs that epitomize this concept for better or for worse. We want to thank our guest, Brandon Lejeune, for joining us. You can find our written content on Google Docs somewhere. You can email the show at <laughs> Debbie Debate. Follow the show on Twitter. Apologies to Kirk Herbstreet. We went a little long with Brandon. We will get him rescheduled soon for Matt Bruning, for Austin Nace, and Brandon Lejeune. I'm Felix Sharp. Good night and good luck. Intercepted by Eli Apple at the 25, and Apple will go to the ground at the 32, and that's it. Ohio State National Champions for the eighth time as they defeat Oregon 42 to 20. Here's Tua stepping back, loads up, looks long, throws, end zone, touchdown, touchdown Alabama, Devontae Smith, touchdown Alabama. And the Crimson Tide has once again ascended to the top of the college football mountain. Their fifth national championship in nine years. Their 17th overall.
Watson takes a snap, rolls right, looks to the end zone. Hunter Renfrow caught it! Touchdown! 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 With a second left, Watson hits Renfro and Clemson grabs a 34-31 lead and is one second away from the second national championship in school history. Hill, just in front of his end zone, has a man out there. It is Ranger, and he's off to the races. Nobody will catch him. Freshman. Made the adjustments in the second quarter. Dobbins again, more than 10 yards per carry. He'll add to that. Goodbye. Touchdown, Ohio State. From 52 yards.